I'm always moved by the gifts of our musicians, not only our choir, who's amazing in your own right, bell ringers and everyone else, Lois, but also many of those in our church who play. And so thank you all for bringing your gift to us for this Pentecost service. We are grateful. If you have not seen the culturally significant and symbolic movie Black Panther, I recommend it. The story begins with a child's voice saying, Father, tell me a story. The father's voice says, What story should I tell, my son? And the child responds, Tell me the story of going home, going back to Wakanda. You see, we are a storied people. That's how we understand our role in the world and how we bring meaning and purpose. We look back at our lives in the past, we see where we are in the present, and we look forward into the future, and we weave all the different parts of that into the story that we tell about ourselves. In fact, it was the ancient Israel uh, gift that brought to us this lineal sense of narrative, of storytelling, which is why they were so good at stories themselves. In fact, the first 11 chapters in the Bible, known as primeval uh, uh, passages, that is to say they were prehistory, before history, are basically stories, sagas and tales to help us bring meaning to the world. They are deeper than a literal understanding, they are poetic. And today's passage, in fact, comes to us as one of those stories that we are all familiar with, summed up in Genesis 11, 1 through 9. I'll be reading from the message version. You can follow along in the new RSV, if you please. At one time, it begins, or once upon a time, the whole earth spoke the same language. It so happened that as they moved out of the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar, which is Iraq, and settled down. They said to one another, come, let's make bricks and fire them well. And they used brick for stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower that reaches heaven. Let's make ourselves famous so we won't be scattered here and there across the earth. God came down to look over the city and the tower who those people had built. And God took one look and said, one people, one language? Why, this is only the first step. No telling what they'll come up with next. They'll stop at nothing. Come, we'll go down, the royal we, Apparently, God has some buddies. We'll go down and garble their speech so they won't understand each other. And then God scattered them from there all over the world, and they had to quit building the city. That's how it came to be called Babel, because there God turned their language into Babel. From there, God scattered them all over the world. One of God's commands to all of the animals 
at creation was to be fruitful and multiply. And in fact, God gave that command to the first family, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, saying it not once but several times in those first chapters of Genesis. Apparently God wanted humanity and creation to scatter itself around all the world and not to settle in one place. Yet here we are in the 11th chapter of Genesis and all they are wanting to do is to settle in one place, to build a city and a tower. In fact, this comes right after the whole story of the flood. You remember the flood? This three-chapter-long story, story of, uh, of building the ark and the flood and and after the waters recede and they're back on dry land, God says three times, three times, scatter, scatter, scatter into the world. Yet right immediately after that, the story tells us the people are not scattering but building themselves this monument to themselves, this ziggurat, this giant tower. It actually wasn't that big by today's standards, of course, maybe four or five stories high, but it was built by bricks and you would climb up around the outside to the top. And the point is that they wanted to settle down in this land and build for themselves this giant tower into heaven so that then they would be assured that God would not scatter them along around the earth again. That was their point. One language, one people, one government, one religion, one ruler, one human pride, egocentric gathering. It's called totalitarianism. It was Heil Hitler, and Russia is for Russians, and America love it or leave it. I don't know if you saw the viral YouTube about Aaron, the lawyer from New York. He happens to be Jewish, and I'll come back to that in a second. Apparently, Aaron was in a market in New York City and experienced two of the employees speaking to each other in Spanish. It set him off. He started screaming at the manager for allowing Spanish-speaking people who had to be immigrants to continue to speak in their language when he was an American and his taxpayer money had gone to make sure that English would be spoken and that people here would be American and he wasn't going to put up with it anymore and he said, I'm calling ISIS, he screamed as he stormed out the door. What's sad and ironic is that being Jewish, certainly he would understand that that is exactly the same totalitarian language that was used against his people a scant 70 years ago. You cannot speak Yiddish. By the way, he lost his apartment and he lost his job and that was not, I think, for politically correct reasons. It was because it was indecent. But that sort of totalitarian sense of absolute sameness 
It's what God is working against. So God and his buddies come down and they stir things up and they kick over that tower of sand and they scatter them abroad over the face of the earth and they started their life again, all speaking different languages with nobody really understanding what anybody else was saying and there we are. Right? I wonder if our tower is our technology these days, reaching all the way up, if not to the heavens, certainly to the cloud. This tower that we built of technology that we thought would connect us and bring us together and we would all be speaking the same language of ones and zeros and all would be invited into the, into the system, into the web, this web of connection is also at the same time, as good as it is, it's also the very source of our divisiveness and disconnection. You can go and find anything you want there to support however you feel about whatever, so that now it's not only a tribal mentality, it's, got, it's broken down into our own individual idea of what's right and wrong and true and what values matter all that now is dependent upon me, myself, and I, and I'll find all the support I need on the web. So ironically, this thing that was to bring us together is doing the opposite. And our language seems more scrambled than ever. I mean, who can you trust? What can you trust? What is real? What is fake? What do I believe in? How can we learn to live together in this world with such diversity? This is the point of Pentecost. There is an alternative. It is learning to live with each other even though we do not all speak the same language and we do not all agree on the same issues. This is what Pentecost is about and the power of the Holy Spirit. Take our passage this morning from Acts. It's the one we're familiar with. When the Feast of Pentecost had come, that is to say they were all gathered in Jerusalem to worship God. They were all together in one place. You see the mirroring of this? At the, at the tower story, they all wanted to live in one place, but God scattered them. But now here they are again in one place. And without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, which is simply the breath of God, the life of God being blown into them again to give them new life after Christ's death and resurrection. There was a strong wind. It was gale force, and no one can tell where it came from, and it filled the whole building. And then, like wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. Now they're all speaking in tongues, the fire of God's Spirit coming upon them, and they're speaking in tongues, yet different languages. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. And when they heard the sound, they came on the run. Then when they heard one after another, their own mother tongues being spoken, they were thunderstruck. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on and kept saying, aren't these all Galileans? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? 
They're Parthians and Medes and Elamites and visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, immigrants from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, even Cretans and Arabs. They're all speaking our languages, describing God's mighty works. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make head or tail of any of it. They talked back and forth, confused, asking, what in the world is going on here? Some people accused them of being drunk on new wine. So as I read this text, it initially seems to say that it is about speaking in languages that everyone can understand, but what it's really about is hearing the different languages that are being spoken, about listening in a new way that has been fostered and encouraged by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're all gathered in worship, and God came down, and instead of creating havoc and babble, God brings them together so that they can hear and understand each other. It's the exact mirror opposite of the Genesis story. I get a picture of the disciples sitting in the upper room, scared to death after Jesus had left them, wondering what their, what their lives were going to be like now that their leader had gone, who was going to encourage them, and who was going to support them. They don't want to leave their place of refuge, and all of a sudden this Holy Spirit gift comes into their midst, and it girds them up with courage and strength, and they leave that one place and go out into the city and begin proclaiming the mighty acts of God. From that point on through Acts, they're scattered to the Gentiles, to the lost, the last, to those who don't eat kosher. Further and further out, the circle goes to the ends of the world. The language they were speaking, of course, is the one common language among all Christian beings That is the language of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know you're not going to believe this, but I'm all for upbeat worship services. Snicker, snicker. I am. But I'm not, not up for worship services that are upbeat simply for the sake of bringing people into the house. Because once that starts happening, then we become an entertainment industry And what people begin to expect is an experience. And then we misguide all that by saying, boy, I was full of the Spirit today. I was tapping my toes, and I was singing along, and I was moved, and I I never felt so spiritual in all my life. But the reason I worry about that in terms of spirituality being a feeling is because the feeling part comes at the end. It starts with discipline. The discipline of being willing to be in relationship with people that you do not agree with. The discipline of listening to somebody when you'd rather turn them off. I'm accused by wife and others as not being the greatest listener in the world. How would she know? Well, when I'm looking at my cell phone, when she's trying to explain something to me, it's a pretty big giveaway. So I've learned when she's talking to me, offering something important to say back to her, not all the time, it's my confession, 
what I hear her saying. Is this what you're saying? Am I understanding you right? And if I can say it right, then she knows I'm listening. And if I don't say it right, she knows either I'm not listening or I do not understand, in which case she helps me understand it better. And that moment of being able to listen to what she or anybody else is saying and to understand what they are saying changes the whole conversation, which, by the way, comes from the Latin root of the word converseo, the same root for the word conversion. So when you're in a conversation with someone, you are always at risk of being converted away from your position and righteousness to their position. That's the risk of conversation, which is why we don't want to listen to people because we're right and they're not. But the power of the Holy Spirit, you see, comes into the middle of that relationship and connects us. That's when we know it's there, when we are now connected to someone in a much deeper way through dialogue and conversation. See the discipline of that? before it's a feeling, and then after you've had that connection, after that experience of being with someone that you do not agree with, you may not even like, but all of a sudden you come together in some way, then there's this feeling of joy beyond description. That's the kingdom of God feeling. So the feeling comes after the work. You can tell when the Holy Spirit's around by the words you hear spoken, like welcome, and please and thank you, bridge building words, dialogue words, conversational words, trust and hope and faith and love and respect and compassion and hospitality. It's about connecting. You know you're in the midst of unholy spirit words that are obvious too, like split up and divorce and judge and criticize and divide and racism and sexism or any ism as far as that goes, an alien and stranger and immigrant and righteousness and argument and fear and hate and wall building. Those are unholy spirit words according to this text. When I was young, I was told the greatest cultural lie that I still believe is true. And I said it probably 30 times. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We recover from sticks and stones, but we carry the scars of words for a lifetime. And the words that we use are called to be sacred in the same way that God used words when God created the world, when God looked down in the vast emptiness of chaos and spoke a word, let it be. And there was. Sacred are these words. Just as God's word became flesh, the Logos, and dwelt among us in Jesus Christ. Sacred are these words. And inasmuch as we are filled up by the power of the Holy Spirit, then we are held accountable to the sacredness of our words too. And how we use them. Do we use them to build up or to tear down? Holy Spirit words, unholy spirit words. Let me tell you how 
the Holy Spirit works in our world. It's all over the place if we just listen for it. A young, handsome, red-headed, bearded English royal prince meets and marries a beautiful, biracial, American, three years older divorcee, considered a commoner by the royal standards, and a descendant of slaves. At their wedding, they had both cultures present. They were in dialogue with each other. An all-English boys' choir and an African-American gospel choir. The Bishop of Canterbury overseeing the vows and a bishop, the first black evangelical bishop in the Episcopal Church, Reverend Curry, 65, young man, 65, preaching this powerful passage on the meaning of love, not just romantically, but in every possible way, the love that we are called to live with each other, whether we agree or not, that's the power of God's Spirit. And this is what he said. Christianity is a movement grounded in the unconditional love of God for the world and a movement mandated that people live that love and in so doing to change not only their lives but their very life for the world itself. It is a movement. I'm listening to that. It is a movement. I'm hearing that. It is a movement. I'm understanding that. A movement for reconciliation. I get it. You hear that story? That's the power of the Holy Spirit that lifts us up and moves us out into the world to be agents of reconciliation. And it starts by our listening to people. And if you really want to go deep, just ask them to tell you their story. Sit down with someone you don't agree with and ask them, tell me your story. And if you're willing to listen to it, dimes to dollars, you're going to experience the power of the reconciliation brought by the power of the Spirit. It's risky. You might have to like that person. It's my story. Sticking to it.